Chapter 57 A Stunning Realization The tunnel leading from the Pincus Synagogue to Whereabouts Unknown was even longer than the one that connected the synagogue with the high. Herman and Klaus followed Gertrude and the men for more than a half hour without seeing an end to it. Where could they possibly be going? Klaus whispered to Herman in exasperation while looking more overwhelmed with every step he took. Like before, it also appeared as if the many signs that they passed along the tunnel's walls reminded him of something. I'm not sure, Herman told him, but we're heading in the direction of the river. Last night, if you recall, Riedel stopped by the Czech Bridge, or whatever you people are calling it now, and he looked out over the water. There are a number of docks in that area. Maybe that's how they're planning to move the Torahs, by ship. It would certainly be faster than trying to get them through all the checkpoints on the roads, Klaus noted. It'd be safer, too. And once they reached the Elbe, Herman added, they could take them all the way to the North Sea and beyond. They could conceivably take the Torahs anywhere in the world, assuming they didn't get torpedoed or bombed from the air, which is a pretty big assumption. It would be an enormous risk, but perhaps they believe that something will not only guide them, but protect them as well. Klaus made no response to this, so Herman turned toward him and saw that he was shaking in fright. Didn't you hear that, Klaus screeched? Hear what? Herman asked. Something is following us, gasped Klaus. I don't hear a thing, Herman insisted. It's the golem, I tell you, Klaus replied. It's following us. Stay in this century, Klaus Herman replied back. I beg you. It seemed that Klaus tried to do this, but he still kept looking back. While he still couldn't see anything, he could not only still hear something, but also could sense it was getting closer, and he let Herman know this. Suddenly, Gertrude and her companions came to the end of the tunnel in a stone wall. There, Tunda withdrew his chauffeur from the cart and blew into it, causing the wall to open from the edge, which he and Lujek opened fully, exposing both the river and a boat waiting by the docks, a boat named the Phoenix. I shall multiply my days like the Phoenix. Again, Herman recalled the passage he read in the cellar of the Pincus Synagogue, he also noticed the look of determination that came across Klaus's face. Without saying a word to Herman, Klaus rushed toward Gertrude and the men. With increasing speed and desperation he moved, and he reached them just as they wheeled the cart outside onto the dock. That's far enough, he called out while both gasping for breath and whipping out his pistol, which he pointed at them. The three stopped at once, and they slowly turned to Klaus, who was joined by Herman, who was also out of breath from trying to keep up with Klaus. Hello, darling, declared Gertrude with a grin, as if seeing him there were the most normal of things. Darling, Klaus uttered, with as much contempt as he could muster, which wasn't much. I don't even know you. Don't be too upset, she murmured. Sometimes I'm not sure whether I know me either. You used me, he growled. We used each other, dear, she pointed out. You needed someone to call your girlfriend, 
and I needed a connection into your office. I call that quid pro quo. Right then, more things made sense to Herman. It was as if the veil that covered what remained of the mystery in Gertrude had been lifted, or mostly lifted. This led him to think back to the conversation at dinner the night before, and he asked her, Was it you who told the Allies that Heydrich was driving to Berlin on the day he was ambushed? Gertrude answered by turning away from Herman and muttering, I simply confirmed what they had already suspected. This country owes you a debt it can never repay, he told her. The debt lies with me alone, she told him back while still looking away. I will live with the faces of Lidica etched in my head till the end. If Heydrich were alive, Herman insisted, he'd be doing worse, much worse. You do realize that you won't live through the night, Klaus hollered at Gertrude, with his anger rising with each word. What's more, you'll wish that it would end a lot sooner than that. Spare me your threats, Klaus, Gertrude snarled. I've already watched my husband murdered in my own home. What are you talking about, Klaus cried out. He committed suicide. You told me so yourself. I told you what I was told to tell everyone, she asserted. I don't understand, he mumbled while shaking his head. My husband was the deputy minister of defense under General Sirovi when the Germans invaded, Gertrude explained, specifically to Hermann. Because he was German, they expected he'd be willing to take over for the general. So they all came to our house one morning, Reich Minister Frank and his henchmen. I wanted to send them away, but my husband was more diplomatic. He decided to hear Frank out in his study, and I was sent to the bedroom. That's when I heard the gunshot. So how do you know that he didn't shoot himself, Klaus screeched. Because upon hearing the gunshot, Gertrude calmly replied, I ran into the study, and I saw Frank hovering over my husband's body with his luger in his hand. There was still smoke coming out of it. My husband, he would have never worked for you. He despised you. He was ashamed to call himself German. I still don't understand, Klaus muttered while again shaking his head. How were you able to ingratiate yourself among us? It certainly wasn't my doing. It was Frank's, Gertrude revealed. He was supposed to recruit my husband, not kill him. But my husband got him so mad that he lost his head. Calling it a suicide was the only way he could save face in his career. But why did you play along, Klaus demanded. She answered, because he made me a deal. Tell everyone it was a suicide and I could be the belle of the ball, as he put it. It seems that all three of us made deals, Herman noted. But I only made mine, Gertrude noted back, for this moment alone. Klaus only had one question left to ask. How were you able to hide the fact that you're a Jew? I never hid it, Gertrude argued. Everyone just assumed what I was because of my husband and because of the men I've dated and because of how I look and act. They could have easily discovered the truth if they had wanted to discover it, but that would have run counter to all the filth you spew about how different we are. I don't know what to say, Klaus muttered. There's nothing more to say, Klaus, Gertrude told him. So you see, 
You could do nothing more to me than what's already been done. Shall we go now? But Herman realized that he hadn't asked Gertrude the most important question, so he asked it now. Did you murder those men or not? Murder what men, she howled. We'll be the ones asking the questions, Klaus growled. Let's go. That's not, came a deep baritone voice to Klaus's left. Everyone turned toward this, and they saw Colonel Riedel pointing a pistol at Klaus with a big smile on his face. Put the gun down, Captain, he ordered. Klaus, though, didn't do a thing. I will shoot you, you know, Riedel stated matter-of-factly. I could have had you shot long ago. I've known all about your proclivities. You've just been a little more useful to me alive, but not any more. So drop the gun. Carefully, Klaus thought through his options, and just as carefully he placed the gun on the ground. Good girl, Riedel murmured as Lujek rushed up to him. While grinning at this and pointing at the man, the colonel turned to Tunda and said, You just made one little mistake, my friend. You didn't know that your man was working for me this whole time. No one's perfect, Tunda told him with a bit of a shrug. Riedel responded by grinning even more and saying, I sure hope you didn't think I really believed all that honest broker nonsense you were spewing, or any of the lies you were telling me about delivering the crate. About that crate, Lujek interjected. But Riedel interrupted him. Just put it on the boat. We've been double-crossed, Colonel, Lujek yelped. There's only junk in the crate. This more than shocked Riedel, and he turned his gun toward Gertrude and snapped. Where is it? Where's the treasure? Gertrude didn't say a word, so Riedel aimed his gun at her head and said, I suggest you come up with an answer, and quickly. Sometimes silence is an answer, commented Herman. Angrily, Riedel turned toward Herman, and he turned his gun on him and grumbled, Speaking of silence. Herman didn't flinch at this. He had long been ready for fate to catch up with him. But Klaus wasn't so ready. No, he yelled, and he jumped in front of Herman as Riedel fired. The bullet pierced the right side of Klaus's body just below his shoulder, sending him into the arms of Herman, who was barely able to hold on. He would say that the only thing that kept him up was the stunning realization that came as a result of Klaus's actions. I should have known he was your lover, Riedel barked at Klaus, as he started backing up toward the entrance of the tunnel while continuing to hold his gun on the others. Lujek followed, and the colonel told him, We'll find the treasure ourselves. There is no treasure, you idiot, Gertrude cried out, causing both men to stop. At least none that you would value. You've been conned, and by a bunch of Jews. Please never forget that. We'll see who gets the last laugh, groaned Riedel. Again he pointed his gun at Gertrude's head, but just before he could shoot, a rock landed not far from his feet, causing him to both jump and misfire. He and everyone else turned in the direction from which the rock had come, and they saw a lone woman standing above them on the embankment, who was wearing a yellow shawl. Clara, Gertrude murmured in surprise. 
What surprised her the most was that the reciprocation for her kindness had come much sooner than she had anticipated. Without hesitation, Riedel fired his gun at Clara, just missing her, and she ran down the sidewalk with a face full of horror. But this wasn't good enough for the colonel, who was about to fire at her again when Gertrude rushed up to the rock and picked it up. Hearing her approach, Riedel spun toward her, just as she smashed the rock into his head, releasing all her pent-up hate and knocking the man onto the ground unconscious amid a growing pool of blood. Watching this, a frightened Lujek reached down and grabbed the gun from Riedel, and he pointed it at Gertrude. Put it down, he demanded while directing his shaking hand toward the rock. Put it down. At once, Gertrude dropped the rock, but Lujek wasn't sure what to do next so he just stood there getting more frightened with each second that passed. Soon this got worse, as he heard the sound of stomping feet coming from inside the tunnel. They all heard it as it got louder, which led Lujic to drop the gun and run down the river bank. No one else moved, including Herman, who was still holding on to Klaus. They were all far more curious as to who was behind the stomping feet then they were frightened of it. This curiosity rose and kept rising until a figure appeared in the entrance of the tunnel. It was Evo, but it wasn't the Evo Herman and Klaus had come to know, or the one Tunda knew. This Evo wasn't limping. He was standing tall in a pair of large and shapeless shoes, which Herman supposed were constructed with specialized cushions and foot orthoses. Without saying a word, Evo marched up to Colonel Riedel's body and effortlessly lifted it into his arms. Only then did he say, You needn't worry. They won't find the tunnel. I'll do with him what I did with the men in the synagogues, so they won't soil your holy places and bring you shame. No one said anything in reply, and Evo carried the colonel back to the entrance of the tunnel. There he stopped and turned around, and he told everyone, You people, you're my friends. You've helped me since I was a boy. You gave me a job and respect, and love too, even. You gave me everything I have, like these shoes Dr. Broad made for me. He finished them just before he left the city. He worked late at night so I could walk right and without pain. I only wish I could wear them more. They're too nice for work. I'm afraid I'll hurt them. And Mrs. Mlinkova... She don't like any shoes in her house. I have to keep them in the attic of the old new synagogue, and I can only enjoy them at night while remembering everyone I love. If you happen to see Dr. Broad sometime, please tell him that I enjoy his gift very much and that I will never forget his kindness. Slowly, Evo turned around, and he stepped inside the tunnel. As he closed the wall behind himself with his shoulder, he added, I will take care of all your buildings until you return. I will care for them like they are my own. Just like that, he was gone. There were only his stomping feet, which kept fading until they too were gone. It seems, mumbled Klaus, who was not only fading but also slipping from Herman's grasp, it seems there really was a golem after all. Why, Herman mumbled back, as he gently fell to one knee with his friend, why did you jump in front of me? 
You don't think I had a choice, do you? Klaus asked. Hyman wasn't sure how to respond to this. So instead he said, Tell me something. Were you the one who killed those men? What makes you think that? Klaus uttered. I've run out of suspects, Herman explained. I might have even started suspecting myself if I had had the opportunity. But you had the opportunity, the capability, and I just now realized that you had the motive as well, to get me at a Theresienstadt. I actually did it for myself, Klaus insisted. What do you mean, Herman asked. Klaus answered, it was the only way I could make up for what had happened to us and relieve my guilt. Make up, Herman muttered while trying to hold back his tears. But, but it was me who betrayed you. No, it wasn't, Klaus assured him. It wasn't your fault that you couldn't love me. I, I don't know what to say, Herman replied after lowering his eyes. I've been haunted by this dream, Klaus continued. I've been haunted by it since I got stationed in Prague and learned what had happened to you and Anna. In it I was running through the darkened streets of Yosefov, chased by some unseen man. I could hear his breathing and his footsteps, and could tell he was close by and getting closer. That's how it always ended. This morning, though, I saw streets and street names that I didn't know. Like you were saying earlier, there were more streets, and they were all crowded together, with the buildings almost on top of each other, and many of the shop signs were in Yiddish. Even stranger, I swear I saw some of them in the tunnels. Then what happened, Herman asked. I ran until I reached a road from which there was no exit, Klaus answered. It was a dead end in every direction, and I saw from the street sign that I was on Ulitze Prokletik, the street of the damned. Once again, I could hear the footsteps. They were right behind me. So I spun toward them and finally saw who had been chasing me. It was me, a gruesome caricature of me, who had a distorted face and skin rotting so badly that it was dripping over his clean black uniform. What do you want from me? I screamed at him while backing up. I haven't been coming for you, he howled as I fell to the ground. I've been running from you. What do these dreams have to do with the murders, Herman wanted to know. The nightmares got so bad that I couldn't sleep, Klaus replied. I would just walk and walk all night. On one of these, I found myself in Yosefov, even though this was the last place I wanted to be. That's when I saw them, the SS men lurking in the synagogues. It came to me at once. By killing them, I could save you from Theresienstadt and myself from the nightmares. All I needed for my plan to work was for you to find a plausible suspect to blame. One that wasn't exactly guilty, but wasn't exactly innocent either. How could you know I would? Herman asked. I knew those men had no good reason to be in the synagogues, Klaus explained. From everything I had read about your career, I knew too that you would discover what their reason was, and that this would lead to a suspect. And I was right. You did find one. More than one. 
my plan almost worked. Actually, it did. There will be no more nightmares. Herman can no longer hold back his tears. But Klaus shook his head in reaction to them and mumbled, Don't. My, my pocket. What? Herman mumbled back. Look in my jacket pocket, Klaus commanded. Herman did, and he pulled out the same papers that Klaus had earlier written the equations on, and that had been lying on the floor of the car that morning. Among them you'll find the visa, Klaus informed him. It'll get you to Switzerland, where you'll find a certain something waiting for you. There really was a visa, Herman uttered in shock. I was actually hoping to leave with you, Klaus told him. But now, now maybe you can find a better traveling companion. Herman shook his head at this. He shook it over and over, and he looked on his Klaus with the gentlest of smiles, closed his eyes and died, which caused Herman to cry even more. And he embraced the man and whispered, Good night, my friend, and, and Spohem. I'm sorry, Herman Gertrude whispered as she touched his shoulder, but we have to leave. You as well. Herman responded by looking up at her and Tonda, who said to him, I need you to help me get the Torahs on board. This is my brother Tonda, Gertrude said to Herman. Shalom, he said to them both.